Welcome to The Gaslighting Effect. I'm Angela, writer, teacher, cult survivor. After decades of being silenced, I'm finally finding my voice. Today, I'm going to talk about what my perceptions were of my father growing up and how they have changed. In particular, how I used to really respect him and revere him and look up to him until I started seeing more clearly the motivations behind his actions. I grew up in this Mormon ward on the East Coast where there was a scandal when I was a teenager. An assistant scout leader that was respected in the congregation ended up being a sexual predator. He was, in very much a traditional sense, a wolf in sheep's clothing. And it was when this happened that I discovered my parents, and my father in particular, had little empathy for the boys who were the victims in that situation, and a lot more empathy for the assistant scout leader. He was essentially let off with just a slap on the wrist, he had two little children and a wife who was pregnant at the time and I think the judge felt sorry for him also so he was let off with a slap on the wrist while I would not say that my father is that kind of wolf in sheep's clothing I would say the fact that he had so much empathy for this man and has continued to show empathy for predators is an indication of the kind of person he is. He is also a wolf in sheep's clothing, albeit not quite as much of a malicious kind. I don't think that he would ever sexually abuse anyone, for instance. But he certainly is a skilled emotional manipulator. And I've come to see that everything he does, even the really good, nice, wonderful things that I used to think were just him, those things always have an agenda, um, a hidden reason why he's doing them. So I have compiled this list. Seven signs that indicate you might be dealing with a wolf in sheep's clothing. I'm going to go through this list and show how my father falls into it. The first is that the wolf in sheep's clothing has a persona. When my dad retired, it was a few years ago, the place where he worked through this big retirement party, and I went with my boyfriend to this big, beautiful celebration, where his co-workers put a lot of thought and effort into expressing the kind of person he was. And the way they described him was as a family man. You know, there were men that he worked with who had had affairs and flings, who had cheated on their wives. There were men who went out drinking every chance that they got. There were men who were not terribly reliable that he worked with and who wouldn't win any awards for Father of the Year. But my dad, in terms of the persona that he put across, was not that kind of man. 
He was a man who loved his family, who put his wife and his children first, and who was devoted to them above everything else, devoted to them and devoted to his church. That was his persona. And I would agree that he is absolutely 100% devoted to his wife, yes. But that's where it ends. What you don't see under the surface is that while family is what he claims is the central tenet of his life, more important than his family is that he has control over those in his family that are close to him. He has stalked his family in the past. He has shown up at my house, for instance, uninvited, when he knew I didn't want to talk to him. He has actually broken into my aunt's house when she wasn't home so he could see how clean her house was to make sure that she was doing a good job of taking care of his father who was staying with them. He's able to rationalize all kinds of things that are illegal or that are harassment or that are just wrong under this guise of being a family man. So that's number one. Just because a person says they're a family man doesn't mean they're the right kind of family man. Number two, a wolf in sheep's clothing probably does a lot of acts of service. My father comes across as a very compassionate, loving man. He will give you the shirt off his back. If you call him in the middle of the night because your car has broken down on the side of the road, he will roll out of bed and he will pick you up. And he will make sure that your car is taken to a repair place and he will do everything he can to help you. I have an uncle who was kicked out of his house at one point. And my dad gave him a room and let him stay for a while. My dad had a sister, still has a sister, who was going through some real rough patches, having other family members not talk to her. And my dad was always willing to talk to her. He was always willing to listen to her, no matter what anyone else said. Growing up, I believed that those things represented who my father was. I believed that he was a sincerely empathetic, caring, loving person. But as I got older and I stepped back and I examined things a little more, I realized there wasn't really any time that my dad had stepped up to help someone when he hadn't been gossiping about the person behind their back. So my uncle, who he let stay in his house for a while, um, my dad says a lot of really unkind things about him, about the way that he goes about his life. He's called this brother irresponsible. He's called him poor of his own choosing. He has basically blamed how hard his life is on his personality. He said all kinds of very mean things about him behind his back. But to his face, he is super nice. He is the brother that can be relied upon 
in an emergency. With the sister that couldn't talk to anyone else in the family, but could talk to my dad about her personal problems. Oh, he did not keep her personal problems to himself. He told my mother. He told us children. He spread it around. He was very critical of the way she had handled things. Told us things he would never tell her to her face, ever. But all she knows is this version of my dad that is kind and loving and is there in a pinch. We're going to talk more about this particular aunt more later. I'm going to call her S. S is totally enamored with my dad, especially now. She has no clue the kinds of nasty things that are said about her behind her back. And if I were to tell her, I'm sure she would not believe me. Because my name has been smeared so badly, nothing I say is going to be believed by my dad's family. Number three. A wolf in sheep's clothing knows how to build rapport. Let me tell you something about my father. He is a teacher. And he is a damn good teacher. He knows how to connect with his students. He asks them about their personal life. He asks them about their parents and about their hobbies and about what they're excited to do on vacation. He's buddy-buddy with them and he gets connected with his students. And he has often told me that in order to be a good teacher, it's not about teaching content. It's about teaching the students themselves. Growing up, I idolized him and his ability to reach anybody. I thought that he was amazing and that he could teach anyone anything. When I grew up in my home, we had these things called counseling sessions. Each of us children will be called up one by one to my parents' bedroom on Sunday. And my dad would just take a little time to ask us how our week was going, how school was going, and try to connect with us. It sounds like a good practice, but it always felt a little bit awkward. And so as a child and a young adult growing up, while I always really admired my dad for connecting with his students, what I've come to see now as an older person is that his form of connecting is not very deep. The reason I always felt awkward in those counseling sessions is because he was never really probing for my deeper feelings. He was never really wanting to see me or to know me. He was just wanting surface information. And that's fine if you're just casually teaching someone how to play a musical instrument. But if it's your child, I would hope that the child feels like they're very intimately loved and cared for and protected. And there was always an ulterior motive at the end, this connecting. Um, I'm going to tell you about my son. This is important. I have a son who used to be really close to his grandfather, to my dad. They connected over mechanical things, over trains and airplanes and the things that my son really loves. 
And Grandpa had always been gentle with him and kind to him. And so my son really believed that he was a safe person. Well, one day a few summers ago, my parents were really quite upset with me because they had invited me to attend something and I was going to arrive late. And instead of being mature about their feelings and the fact that I was going to do something they didn't approve of, instead of being open and mature, they set out to punish me in a certain passive-aggressive way. And not just me, but the kids. I showed up to the event, and my oldest son was there with me. And instead of his grandfather greeting him in a very warm, friendly, oh, I'm so happy to see you way that he always has, ever since he was a baby, my father was very cold and very distant. And my son took it personally. He was hurt. He no longer felt like my dad was a safe person. So what it comes down to is, even with him building rapport, it's still a front. Because if he isn't getting what he wants, he will break that rapport in the snap of a finger. He will turn on you in an instant. And I think growing up, I always kind of knew that. Because when I first had the rift with my mother, I tried to keep in touch with my father. And I tried to keep a relationship going. And over the course of, of that time, when we were talking on the phone and meeting, I always felt like I couldn't say no to my father, at least not too many times. Or he would get very irate. Or he was going to punish me, or he was going to punish the kids in an emotionally abusive way. But I didn't want to test it. So I just said yes. I said yes as much as I felt comfortable saying yes. And it turned into a habit to the point that it was very hard to start saying no when I realized that distance was healthier for my family and I. So I think I always knew that he wasn't really a safe person and that that rapport was shallow. But I didn't want to believe it. I didn't want to actually set boundaries down to the point where that would be revealed. And so I just held on as long as I could to that relationship. Don't do it, listeners. Don't do what I did. Number four. The wolf in sheep's clothing is often established as reputable and respected institutions such as churches which preach respect for authority. This works really well for my dad because he's a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints where he has taught us that we need to listen to authority and we need to listen to our parents and we need to be respectful of those in authority over us. And he's been able to use this to put himself out as a kind of hero. He is the kind, loving dad that never gives up on his children, that never gives up on his father, that is always there, even when we don't want him to be there. You know, he's not stalking us. We're just ungrateful. He uses the ideology to take license and to, I don't know, to, 
to use guilt to get us to do what he wants us to do. He's very good at guilt trips. Number five. The wolf in sheep's clothing is an expert at love bombing. What's love bombing, you ask? Well, that's like intensely flooding someone with gifts or treats or or trips to Hawaii or a lot of money or here, let me take you out to dessert. Let me buy you a meal. Let's go do something fun together. This is all love bombing. Love bombing. Here's a very clear example of love bombing. Back when I first had the rift with my mother, I really, really badly wanted a relationship with my father and I trusted him. And I didn't want to keep the grandkids from seeing their grandparents because I thought that was really cruel. So my father invited me over to their house and he said, don't worry about mom. You don't have to see mom. You don't have to talk to mom, but she really wants to see the grandkids. She really wants to see them and I would love to take you out to eat. So me being trusting and the daughter that really wanted to be close to her daddy, I go over there and I leave the kids. The grandma can see them. And grandpa or my father takes me out to this really nice restaurant and he's paying and he's ordering these beautiful dishes and we're talking and it's casual and he's building rapport and then he orders dessert and over dessert the tone of the conversation suddenly shifts to God is displeased with you Angela You are hurting this family. You are tearing it apart. You are going to be condemned in the last day. Not just by me, but by God. And it just, it was terrible. Because he basically was acting like he had religious power over me to damn me to hell. If I didn't give him what he wanted and just kowtow to my mother and pretend everything was fine. Well, I didn't cave, and instead I became very angry. Clearly, the nice meal and the nice conversation and the dessert and him paying for everything, that was all love bombing. That was all the love part of the love bombing. Okay, and then when we got to the dessert and he decided to confront me and be an asshole... That was the bomb part. Okay, that's when the chickens came home to roost. Because it became clear that his whole motivation for inviting me out there wasn't so the grandkids could see their grandmother and it wasn't so he could talk to me and bond with me as his daughter. As he had said, it was a trap. The whole thing had an ulterior motive. The whole thing did. So... I was angry, but I couldn't just leave because we came in his car. See, this is how he did it. He said, come over to our house and let the kids play with their grandma. And you and I will go out. We'll take my car. So then I couldn't even leave. I was waiting on him. So we get into his car and he's driving 
us back to my parents' house. And it is the most awkward, uncomfortable, torturous car ride ever. We get there. I get out of the car. I run into the house. And I'm angry. I open the door. Kids, get your stuff. We're leaving. Let's go now. And my mother just looks shocked at this angry daughter storming into her home. What what happened, she says. This is not okay. That was a trap, I said. And I took the kids and I took them home. Well, years later, my mother wrote a blog post under her real name. So with my picture in it, so there was no hiding who it was about, about how I had changed, where she talks about this incident of her husband bringing their daughter out to a nice meal and her daughter just flipping out and getting angry for no reason. She rewrote history. He loved bombed me. He had ulterior motives. I became angry for a valid reason that she knew about. And then she twisted the story later to say I was some kind of angry, ridiculous, insane person and posted about it publicly on her blog under her real name. So love bombing is a definite red flag just because they are pampering you with meals or money or trips doesn't mean they're a safe person. In fact, they probably are not. They probably have an ulterior motive. Number six, that a person might be a wolf in sheep's clothing is if they come across and believe themselves to be Mr. Perfect. My dad is Mr. Perfect. He never does anything wrong. His motives are as pure as and white as the driven snow. He stands up for the little guy, <clears throat> my mother. Always. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. This is how he presents himself. He has never apologized to me for the things he's done that are manipulated all the manipulative things that he's done. He's never apologized for pretending to know God's will. He's never apologized for invading my privacy. He's never apologized sincerely for hurting my son's feelings. He's yet to come clean about anything. He makes up stories to make himself look like Mr. Perfect. So to give you an example, I am not the poster child for figuring things out quickly. When I first had the rift with my mother, we didn't talk for a couple years and then we sort of gradually grew back together again, but then it was awkward and for 10 years, she basically just smear campaigned me to everyone she knew until I figured out what she was doing. And my dad sat by and watched and he was fine with it. And it got to a point where I couldn't deal with it anymore. That, however, is not the story that you will hear from my dad if you ever talk to him. Here is the story you will hear from my dad. He will tell you that 
his daughters, both of us, not just me, but my sister too, do not want to have a relationship with him or mom because we left Mormonism and we are not okay with them still being Mormon. It's an alternative reality. It has nothing to do with the truth. But this is what he has gone around and told all his brothers and his sisters and his friends and the people in his new congregation and everything. So I held on to my relationship with my parents for a very long time, even though it wasn't working. And the last straw for me was when my younger sister and my older brother decided to leave Mormonism a couple of years ago around the same time. Now, when my parents found out, they went over to my older brother's house. While they had company, it was a dinner party. And my dad unleashed a tirade of shame onto my older brother in public. He actually had to send the guests out to play basketball so that he could deal with his dad and his mom shaming him like a little kid because how dare he not believe in the church okay so that was the first thing that was an indication to me they had not changed and then the second thing came less than a week later when my sister told them she no longer was going to go to the go to church And she was also in the middle of divorcing her husband at that time. So my mother basically told my little sister that she didn't love her. And my dad just sat there. And then they left. And then they took her soon-to-be ex-husband out to get food. And they offered to testify against my sister in court so that he could get a better outcome because they were going to support him through this divorce. They had already told my sister that they were not going to support her and expressly told her she was not allowed to talk to them about the divorce. But her soon-to-be ex-husband, they had offered to testify in his behalf for the sake of the kids. Okay, so it was at that point I decided I could not have a relationship with parents that are so toxic they would turn on their own children in this way. And my parents, without any provocation from any of their children who they had recently alienated, were so embarrassed by having so many apostate children and being in the same congregation as my little sister and not wanting to offer her any support during her time of need, they made the decision to sell their condo and pack up and move to Colorado to be close to their one child who is still a believer in Mormonism. So that's what they did. They packed up their stuff. They told us they were moving, but they didn't tell us when. 
didn't give us any details about when they were actually pulling out of the driveway or going to the airport or or leaving to cross the country by car. Probably they drove. It would be in character for them. And we found out after the fact, after they had left, because they didn't tell us. But just to make it clear kind of man my father is in having to be Mr. Perfect. He could not tell the truth. He could not tell the actual true story to his family and his friends. Because in December, less than a month after they had moved away, all three of us, me and my younger sister and my brother, we get this letter, this strange, mysterious letter from his sister, the one I mentioned earlier, who I am naming S for the purpose of this podcast. I'm going to read it to you. Give me a sec. It says, Dear Angela, Yesterday and today, I had the opportunity to serve supper and visit with your parents. They are stoic, but not so much That deep pain escapes my notice. I ask myself, how can it be that after 40 plus years of East Coast residency, raising their five children in that area, that none of the four living in the area still had courtesy to see them off? So clearly, whatever story they're being told, it doesn't include the fact that we didn't even know when they were leaving. Please begin... It's not too late, while they are alive, to tease apart matters of faith and matters of everyday living. What you give comes back to you, dot, dot, dot. Love them. They gave their best. And she goes on to talk about how just because we don't have the same faith anymore doesn't mean that we can't begin again and... and all that. And guilt, guilt, guilt. That's how it concludes. So, clearly the narrative they're telling is about them being perfect and their children just rejecting them, basically, because they're not members of the church, which could not be further from the truth. Okay, so that's six. They have to appear perfect. It does not matter. does not matter what the truth is. Number seven, and the final red flag. You might be dealing with a wolf in sheep's... I can't talk. You might be dealing with a wolf in sheep's clothing if he is very generous with money. Now, my dad is very generous with money, but here's what you don't see. What other people don't see about this wolf in sheep's clothing. He uses money in a sort of carrot and stick approach to getting his way. He uses it to reward or punish based on whether you give him what he wants. So here's my dad writing my sister and I a letter. Six months after they moved to Colorado... We were not talking to them for very good reason. 
So this was his response. This was his letter. Dear Angela, your mother and I have recently been updating our state planning and are contemplating making some changes. In order to do this effectively, we need to hear from you about your wishes. Do you have any preferences and do you wish to have a say in these matters? He lists a date. This is the date that we have with the attorney to make final decisions. We hope to hear from you soon, but if we have not heard from you by this date, we will assume you have no interest in our state. We are looking forward to discussing this with you. Love, Dad. So you can see how loving that actually is. I have no interest in his money personally. But it's an ultimatum. It's an ultimatum of give us what we want or we're going to cut you out of the will. Of course, neither of us reached out after getting a letter like that. Because who reaches out after getting a letter like that? Listeners, this concludes the podcast for today. The next episode will be about the perceptions, thoughts, and feelings that keep us stuck in unhealthy relationships. If you enjoyed this episode, consider joining me on the Facebook page called Spotlight on Spiritual Abuse. You can message me there or post. And remember to always trust your instincts. Don't let others tell you how to think.